Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for our time together. And Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for um, the opportunity to look at um, Saul's life or Paul's life and uh, the challenges and, um, Lord, the similarities uh, between his life and ours. And we, uh, we pray, God, that we would uh, be encouraged uh, by the example that he set and the things that you did in his life. Uh, so we praise you and we thank you for being with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 9, you know, the power of a changed life is, you know, as I was reading this and just seeing how powerful of a witness Paul's life was. And I'll probably say this a few times as we go through, but you know what, that's the same for us. You know, there's a lot of power in your testimony of your life and what God has done in your life. So, you know, I'm going to just give you a few dates, give you an idea of just perspective. You know, Saul was born about 5 AD, and, you know, you got to, there's a little bit of leeway with these dates. Um, Jesus' death, the resurrection, and ascension, the day of Pentecost, um, you know, AD 30. Um, the first persecution of the church, you know, as we're getting up to this point, um, Acts chapters 4, 5, and 7. Uh, We see Paul comes on the scene, and it's around 34, 35 A.D. Stephen is martyred. Philip heads out to Samaria, Acts chapter 8, about that same time frame. And then we see Saul's conversion. Saul comes on the scene, and he's roughly around 30 years old at this point. And he uh, gets saved, and then he's active. He goes out to the desert. Uh, for three years, comes back, and it's around 30 A.D. Um, he ends up preaching in uh, Cilicia and Syria for five years. That brings it to us about 39 A.D. So, you know, in that span of time, a lot happens. A lot happens. What I want to focus on this morning is Paul's life, Paul's conversion, and uh, make some similarities uh, to how that happened, a process and then um, kind of make the application for us. Uh, I put in my notes, I didn't want to overly complicate this, but you know, that's hard for me to, over, I'm, it's hard for me to overly complicate anything. But you know what, I think that's part of the problem we have sometimes as believers is we, we complicate things too much. You know, we get into the word and we're looking for all these deep truths and the reality of what God wants to say to us is right there. You know, right, right in our face. So, um, you know, it's, it's, um, we're going to keep it simple, right? Kiss, keep it simple. <laughs> Thanks, I like that one. Yeah, so, um, hey, you know, think about this. And this is, um, this is the way my mind works. If God said it, then that settles it. So if you look at, and I don't want to go all the way back to Genesis, but if you start toward, at the end of Luke, Jesus is ascended, you know, Jesus is resurrected. He hasn't ascended yet. He opens the minds of the apostles to understand the word. And they start to see everything falling into place. You know, yeah, I remember when he said that. Yeah, I remember that. You know, and oh, yeah, I remember that, you know. And they're they're really um, headed, I mean, staying in Jerusalem because Jesus told them to, right? And so what happens in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2? The day of Pentecost, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. He told them to wait until they were filled with power from on high. So that's what they did, 
right? Acts chapter 3, they're still um, fellowshipping, they're still, they're meeting, going to those times of prayer in the temple. Peter and John are on their way, just walking in the spirit, if you will, just just living out their day, um, just doing uh, what they, they knew that the Lord wanted them to do, to pray, to be, um, to be a witness. You know, they walk by this guy who's been lame his whole life. They've been walking by him every day for years. And the Lord puts it on Peter's heart to reach out to him and heal him. And, and God heals him. You know, all of these things that we look at, these miraculous signs and wonders, which they are, but you know what? They happened in, in just the course of a day. It happened in a day in a life of these men and these women as they lived for the Lord. So that's the kind of mindset I have. You know, if we wake up in the morning and make that commitment, all right, Lord, whatever. You know, I want to be open to what you're, you're saying, what you're doing. And uh, believe me, God, will, he's faithful. Uh, it, he'll bring some excitement into your day for sure. So the book of in, in Acts chapter 9, is, um, it's a little distinct turning point in the book. You know, up to this point, Peter is, um, has kind of held um, the preeminence or, you know, the key figure in the book so far. Um, but now things are going to kind of change, and Paul is going to gradually become the key figure um, in the gospel and spreading it to the Gentiles. So let's, uh, let's read a few verses in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. So it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, um, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So it's, it's kind of cool that the Christians back then got that nickname, you know, that they were called the way. And, you know, because Jesus, what did he say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So they were prob- probably meant it in a derogatory way like this way, but it really was the, the way, right? Uh, the way to get to him. So Saul. So I'm going to probably call him Saul or Paul, but it's still... Um, just a confusion on my part because he's not going to be Paul for a little while, but he is Paul, right? All right, so you understand what I'm saying. So he was named after King Saul, right? And so Saul is his Hebrew name and Paul's his Greek name. So Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Roman citizen, which will be a benefit for him as you read through the book of Acts. He was born in Tarsus, an important city in Roman, the Roman province of Cilicia, uh, he studied under Gamaliel. We'll see that as um, as you go through the book of Acts. There's a reference to that in Acts 22.3. Uh, and like uh, his father before him, Paul was a Pharisee. And we're going to see as we close in Philippians that he was the Pharisee of all Pharisees, right? He was really sold out. So Saul saw Christianity as a threat to his religion. And he, he opposed it vehemently uh, in his um, in his I guess his dialogue with um, King Agrippa in Acts 26, verses 9 through 11, listen to Paul's heart. He's telling Agrippa how, um, just how much he hated the church. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints 
I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they had, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Probably speaking of Stephen. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities, you know, to Damascus. So Paul had a real angst against the church, to say the least. I mean, his goal was to stop that movement. And you can, you can see his concern. He thought that Judaism was, that that was it, that there was no other way. That, you know, salvation came through the law, you know, through circumcision. So, you know, he's, uh, he's an interesting guy. There's one, one last point I want to make about Saul. Um, you know, he was spiritually blind, in spite of all of his education, uh, in spite of the fact he sat under one of the most popular um, rabbis of his time, he was still spiritually blind. Um, like a lot of his countrymen, he stumbled over the cross. That was a stumbling block for him because he depended on his own righteousness and not of the righteousness of, that God gave through Christ. And I know a lot of us have been there right before we got saved. I mean, Christianity was a stumbling block, parts of it, you know, we, or we just didn't even care, right, about it. And there's many um, self-righteous religious people today who still stumble over the cross. And it's interesting because when you look at Paul's life throughout the rest of the, um, the New Testament, you can see um, the, you know, the change in his life, the power um, that his life actually had, the witness he had. Um, to speak to these issues as he was sharing with the Jews and the Gentiles was pretty powerful, pretty powerful. And uh, it didn't seem like it affected his desire um, to want to share those things. So Paul's life after salvation, or Saul's life, going through this process of sanctification, I looked at it as like a template. And, you know, like this is something that just God put on my heart when I was reading through um, this chapter a couple weeks ago, and it's like, you know, a template, or in this instance, it's a life that serves as a model to emulate or to copy. So it was like, take this template of Saul, Paul's life and put it over mine and then kind of emulate it, right? Copy it. And uh, the first thing that came to my mind, and maybe to your mind as I'm saying it, is that um, that that worn-out excuse that we all use, hey, that was the Apostle Paul. I mean, you, you can't expect me to be like him. I'm not even in full-time ministry, right? But, you know, the thing is that you might not be on staff here, you might not have a position in the church, but I can guarantee you that you're in full-time ministry. You are. You're true, you are. From the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep, you're in full-time ministry, you might not be talking to somebody, but you can be praying for somebody. You can be texting somebody. You can be in the Word. Um, you're in ministry. And, you know, one other thing to think about is, you know, we're not even actually called to follow Paul. We're called to follow Christ. So that even makes it more difficult, right? But it doesn't. You guys know what I'm saying, don't you? You know, that, you know we can look at Saul's life or Paul's life, and we can be encouraged because you know what? He's not filled with a different version of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he, uh, I mean, obviously he wrote most of the New Testament, but, you know, I mean, everything, you know, everything, it, was, it was all led and guided by the Spirit. 
everything that Paul did, he did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, you know, God working through him. And none of that has changed. None of that has changed. So don't think that um, because you're you, however you, that translates to you, that this stuff that, you know, being like Paul or being, you know, don't, don't even let that stuff get into your head. Just focus on wanting to be the person that God's created you to be. You know, God has given you a uniqueness that nobody else has. And all he is saying is, trust me to be you. Trust me to be, you know, that individual I've created in you. Just go out there and just do it. You know, you don't have to, I mean, well, I better not say it like that. Um, you do have to make some changes. But what I'm trying to say is that you can, you know, God had created you with a certain kind of a personality. There's just something about you, something different. And God wants to use that. So, and you know, it's not impossible. You know, when Jesus was interacting with the, the rich young ruler and, you know, the, he you know, told him, hey, you know, he had a hard time when Jesus said, well, go sell everything you got and follow me. And, you know, the apostles were like, oh, my gosh, then who could be saved? You know, and at the end of verse 26 of Matthew 19, it said, but with God, all things are possible. You know, and that's it's so true in our lives. With God, all things are possible. So, I think it's great. <laughs> I think it's great. I'm, I, when I get up in the morning and I realize that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that there's nothing impossible. If God's called me to do something, you know, I'm going to do my best to do it. You know, and we're going to see as, I don't know if we'll get to verse 13, but we're saints. You know, we're, that word saint is the word hagios, and it, it means to be set apart or set apart ones. You know, God has called you. He separated you from the world. He separated you from the world for a purpose. And we're going to see, Paul is going to see his purpose. And it's going to be interesting to um, see the, um, the, just the correlation between his life and ours. The power of a changed life. Think about it. Saul was a radical Pharisee, a persecutor of the church. And what happens? Jesus interrupts Paul's life. He inserts himself into Paul's life. And he becomes an ambassador of Christ, a man totally committed to the gospel. And we're going to look at that as God intersects our lives, right? God inserted himself into our life at one point in time, right? And then it just, he just kept doing it. It just kept coming back, right? And that's what happened with Saul. And we're going to see that, the pattern there. Let's read the verses 3 through 8. It says, as he journeyed, Paul, as he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. You know, and obviously this is Jesus Christ in all his glory. Then he, Paul, fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And let me stop there just for a second, and, and I just want you to notice that there is an inseparable bond between Jesus and the church. Okay, so Paul thought he was persecuting the church, but in reality, and we're going to see that, that he was persecuting Jesus. And that bond hasn't changed. So in verse 5, it says, And he said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. 
And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. And then if you read in Acts 22, you know, they, they, they heard the voice, but, you know, they, they couldn't understand what the voice, they didn't, the words weren't um, discernible. So in Acts 22 and Acts 26, there's, Paul gives a little bit more information on um, what happened here, and we'll look at some of that. So then, verse 8, then Saul arose from the ground. When his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And there, and he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So, in, and you know, thinking of Paul's testimony, if you see it throughout the word, um, you see it in Philippians, like I said, towards the end of uh, Acts. Uh, he never tired using uh, this conversion story as part of his testimony. And I, I think it's important for him because it, it really did relate um, to what these folks were experiencing. You know, for me to share my testimony, and unless you were involved with drugs and things like that, you wouldn't even understand. You wouldn't even understand half of it. But Paul, his his testimony was pertinent to ministering to the Jews. So important. So he used it a lot. So there's more information we'll see in Acts 22 and 26. But for right here in Acts 9, we're just simply getting the facts. So the power of a changed life. I think it's safe to say that Paul's life had a huge impact on the early church. And uh, like I said, and it can have a huge impact on our lives as well. So a changed life starts. Where there's gonna, there's four, four things that I want to mention about um, you know, this template or um, you know, just this process. And just to put it simply before we make the comparisons going through these verses, you know, we'll go through the verses. A changed life starts with God inserting himself into Saul's life. I mean, everything in his mind was going along just fine, right? He thought he actually thought he was doing God's will, right? Persecuting the church, trying to get rid of these heretics, trying to get, you know, um, put an end to this uprising against Judaism. So God interrupts Saul's life. Saul, or Paul, had a plan. God had a plan. And God steps in. And, you know, even, even what the, this, just the glory of God, you know, in this, on the road to Damascus, um, you know, Paul still had a choice. He still could have rejected it. I mean, and I know you're probably sitting there thinking, well, gee, Dave, how could you possibly reject, um, you know, God and all of his glory, you know, right in front of you? But you know what? There's people that wake up every day, like a day like today, and they go outside and they see creation, a beautiful sunshine, blue skies. You know, the creation just shouts that there's a God, but yet they don't accept it. They don't accept it. So it's a choice. It's a choice. And Paul obviously made the right choice. And, you know, if you're sitting in here and you're born again, you made the right choice whenever that conversion experience happened in your life. And if you're here and you haven't had that happen, you know, don't, don't leave home without it. Don't leave the church without it. Don't leave here um, with that not settled. So 
let's read, we're going to reread some of these verses, verses 3 through 5. It says, And he journeyed and came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And then, like I said, Acts 26 has a little bit more of a twist to it. We get a little bit more information. So you don't have to turn there. I'll read verses 12 through 15 in chapter 26. So Paul, now in chapter 26, Paul is, is giving his testimony, if you will. They brought him before Agrippa uh, to see if uh, they were going to send him any further. He had appealed to Caesar, so... You know, they just figured they'd get Agrippa's input, so Paul is sharing before King Agrippa. So he says, while thus occupied, or on his way to Damascus, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority, a commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me, and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you? So first thing that happens, God inserts himself into Saul's life on the road to Damascus. So the second thing that we see is Paul's response to that, right? His first response is one of humility. He falls right on his face and you know, right to the ground. He sees the Lord and just falls on his face before him. And Saul, you know, and I look at this as like a prayerful response, you know, to God inserting himself into Saul's life. Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? Boy, that seems like a logical response, right? But that happens all the time in our lives. God inserts himself in our lives. What's our response? So who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? Once again, in verses 5 and 6, and he said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembled, he was, so he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And it's interesting, and I, I was thinking about this the other day. You know, here, Saul, in his mind, um, Jesus is dead and buried. Right? He, I mean, at this point, I mean, he's not, obviously, he's not, he's, get, he's getting converted. But the latest he heard is that Jesus was crucified, taken off the cross, and buried. And that, uh, you know, this was take that, that part of it was done. And that uh, maybe he heard the rumor that um, the apostles came in and stole his body to, to give that impression that he had resurrected because he had mentioned that. So, you know, here he is going, you know, down this road, and Jesus appears to him. I mean, think of what must be going through his mind, you know, what, what he's feeling in his heart. You know, because Paul, you know, being a Jew, I mean, they longed for the Messiah. And for him to, you know, at that point, starting to, you know, going through his mind, oh, my gosh, you know how I blew it. You know, I missed it. I missed it. So this is, you know, when we read it, you know, we read it and it's, you know, we understand, you know, it says he was trembling and astonished, but I don't think those words really give you the full just force of what was going on in his head and his heart. And I know with me, when I got saved, um, you know, I was, 
I was amazed. I was amazed that it could happen, you know, because I had kind of put in a line through my name, and I thought God had done the same. But when I realized that that wasn't true, yeah, it was um, it really, I mean, it still, it still has the same effect on me when I think about it. I just get, like, goosebumps. So, you know, Paul is, um, you know, he's, all of this stuff is going on in his mind and his heart. And it's, you know, I thought about it, it's like, now what? <laughs> you know, have you ever been there having one of those now what do I do moments? You know, when I got saved, that's, you know, it was like, oh, my gosh. You know, what am I going to do now? You know, after all of this baggage, you know, God just whispered in my ear, just said, you don't have to take this with you. You don't have to bring this stuff with you. You're a new creature. You're a new creation. You know, just leave it. Leave it behind. And you know what? That's what that's what Paul's going to do. So God inserts himself into Paul's life, and then... You know, Paul responds with humility and, you know, okay, who are you and, you know, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? It's like a prayer for direction. What's going on? What do you want me to do? Then the third thing is there's a clear word from Jesus. Okay, Jesus, he answers Saul's prayer. Who are you and what do you want me to do? And Saul gets a a real clear, clear answer. And we're going to see in, we'll read, um, chapter, I mean, verse 6 first, but then we'll go back to Acts 26, and he gives them some really clear um, direction. Then the Lord said to him, this is verse 6 of chapter 9, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So pretty straightforward in Acts 26, 15 through 18, it says, and he said, I am Jesus. So Paul is getting an answer to his prayer, like, who are you? All right, and now he's going to, he knows who he is now, and he's going to give him some direction as well. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open, the, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So, you know, there's the answer right there, a clear word from the Lord. I want you, Saul, to get up, and I want you to go into the city, and you're going to be told what to do. Okay, so just go and wait. So he goes and waits. And then in Acts 26, as Paul is sharing um, with Agrippa, he gives them a little bit more information, adds to what God um, had called him to do. All right. So God inserts himself into our lives. We respond, Saul responds with that humility. He sends a prayer out and like, Lord, hey, you know, who are you and what do you want? Jesus answers it very clearly, it's me, it's Jesus whom you're persecuting, and this is what I want you to do. Okay, so the last thing that we see is obedient, an obedient response to, um, to Jesus' word to him, to the answer to that prayer. In verses 8 and 9 of chapter 9, it says, Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one, 
but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And as he, and as he, as he was there three days without sight, he neither ate nor drank. But I like what Paul says as he continues on in Acts 26. Still before Agrippa, we get more information. But one thing to keep in mind is I'm, as I read these verses, this is roughly 24 years after, 24 years after Paul's conversion. So when, I, when we read these verses, keep that in mind, okay? So he says, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. He's telling Agrippa, hey, you know what? I I wasn't disobedient to what the Lord told me to do. He said, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seize me. This is why he's before Agrippa and how he got arrested. The Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other thing than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Paul was not only obedient that day in Acts 9 when he was on the road to Damascus, but his whole life, his whole life was a life of obedience to what God had spoken to him on, you know, through that whole Damascus road experience. You know, he was obedient to that call. And, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't like, you know, Paul went to work and had issues with a, you know, a co-worker that said mean things to him or, you know, you know, Paul every day put his life on the line for the gospel, you know, regardless. And, you know, I really like it the way he tells, you know, he tells Agrippa, he says, therefore, you know, all these things, they tried to kill, more, kill him, right? In verse 22, it says, therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand. Hey, we're all still here standing and breathing. You know, God wants to use us, and it's all by God's hand in our life. You know, everything that we accomplish, it's all through, it's the Holy Spirit working through us. So, all right, so let's just make the application. I want to just go through these again and just kind of point out some things that maybe we can relate or make an application to, and that's probably um, more beneficial for us, right, to see what we can do. So God interrupts our lives, okay, not just at salvation, but hopefully every day, right? Amen? Amen. Right? We, you know, we got saved. Sure, God, we're thankful for that. You know, we were a wreck. We might not even thought we were a wreck, but we were spiritually, right? And God inserted himself into our life. He interrupted our life. Think about that. You know, we're not talking about just, you know, one of our buddies or something. You know, we're talking about the creator of the universe, loved you so much to interrupt your life, to insert himself in your life, to get your attention so you'd get saved, right? And we know that. I mean, the Holy Spirit starts to draw us, starts to convict us of our unrighteousness, our sin, and, you know, we realize our need for a Savior. 
So our prayer is that God, you know, you know, you can interrupt my schedule anytime you want, anytime you want. You know, Saul was um, Saul was aware of this, and obviously, um, you know, what happened with Saul isn't the norm, right? I mean, unless somebody was walking to their car from church and this big light shone around you and, you know, the Holy Spirit spoke to you. But, you know, you know our, our, our interaction with the Lord, all of it is, is glorious. All of it is supernatural, even if it's just a still, small voice. You know, our response is, you know, and think about it. Do we... Do we see this happening in our lives? Do we see God's hand in our life? You know, are, are, you, um, are you getting to the point where you're doing something and, you know, God's trying to get your attention and you're recognizing that? Right? You know, do you, um, do you get excited about that? Are you excited about the fact that God wants to be an active part of your life? I hope so, because it's, you know, I, I, I'll tell you a quick story. I was at a baseball game in Florida, and the Baltimore Orioles were playing uh, some other team. I forgot who it was. But I mean, I'm a Yankee fan, so I don't, it's not that it was Baltimore, but you'll see why. So um, I have a baseball, and I, my, grand, my grandsons are really young, so I wanted to go get them some autographs. So... Um, I'm coming back, um, coming back up the, the stairs because I couldn't get down there quick enough. And Frank Robinson is sitting right there. So if you're baseball people, you know, Frank Robinson is like, wow. So I said, whoa. I said, hey, Mr. Robinson, you know, can you sign this for my grandkids? And he, well, he couldn't do it anyway. But, um, yeah, why did I bring that story up? <laughs> Were you guys paying attention? Huh? Yes, thank you. See, and I thought it was a big deal to try to get an autograph from Frank Robinson. So he had a good excuse. So don't, he's still, still a nice guy. So don't hold it against him. All right. But, you know, it's just realizing that. Just the fact that you'd think, you would think that way, that God, you know, when you get up in the morning, you know, because when I get up in the morning, you know, we have our our routine, and, you know, we're pretty flexible with that. You know, but once I leave the house, I think I have everything planned. And, you know, I, you know, I have to change my mentality because I don't, you know, I, I think I have a good idea for the day, but you know what? God's idea is always better. And you never know where it's going to take you or what you're going to be doing. But, you know, I, you know, I just want to encourage you to opt out for that. You know, leave your leave room in this. Even that sounds sacrilegious, I guess. Leave room in your schedule for God. Doesn't that sound weird? It's almost like God's saying, "Hey, wait. You know, I'll let you know if there's some spare time for you. I'll let you know. We should fill our day with Him, and and we can. You know, Friday night we had a guest speaker here, and um, you know he asked a question: um, How many of you guys pray without ceasing? So, you know, nobody's going to raise their hand because, you know, now you're a spiritual giant, right? Yes, I pray without ceasing, yes. But, you know, the thing is you can. You can. You can be aware of God's presence in your life all the time. And you can have, you can dialogue with God. You can have that interaction with him all the time. So 
Now you guys know that you could pray without ceasing. Now you just have to do it. You know it's available. You just have to do it. So what's our response? God inserts himself into our lives. What's our response? Paul responded with humility. Do we? And I, I just, there's a couple verses that I, I jotted down. First um, Peter 5, verses 5 through 7, I'll read them for you. Likewise, younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. In James 4, James 4 verse 6, it says, But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Wow. So humble. Be humble and just get all the grace you can because that's what God is saying. So God interrupts our lives. We need to ask the question, Lord, what do you want? What is it? What is it? Take the time. Take the time. Let God speak to you. Another thing I was challenged with on Friday night was shut up time. That's what I did. What? And, um, you know, Patrick was saying that you got to just get before the Lord and shut up. You know, we get up and we pray, and it's, a, it, you know, it's um, a monologue. Like, we're just, okay, God, and then, see, i got to go. You know, I'm running late. But, you know, he, I like that shut-up time. Just sit before God and be quiet. Let him speak to your heart. So uh, just some food for thought. Just some food for thought. A clear word. So I got a clear word. And guys, you know, God will and does give us clear direction, guidance, uh, day to day, just not once in a while. Uh, it just takes some effort on our part. It takes some time to be in the word, some shut up time, you know, listening to God, uh, praying. So I put praying in the word, sitting under uh, the teaching of the word, coming to church, that's a novel thought, right? Coming to church, hearing somebody share the word. And, you know, and don't take this wrong, but it's, it's, not, it's not an occasional reading of the word um, or praying occasionally or being at church occasionally. Um, you know, I'm talking about consistency. You know, being in the word multiple times throughout the day. Right, making time for God, praying like we just talked about, praying without ceasing, and you know what? Getting to church, you know, hanging out. I mean, you guys are really nice folks to hang out with, you know, and to get to know. I mean, that's we're the body of Christ, and the only way we grow together is if we could come together and hang out and get to know each other. So all that stuff is important, and. You know, if we want to hear from God, we want to receive from God, um, you know, that's, that's all part of it. Praying, being in the word, and fellowship. So important. I mean, I know that there's times I've talked to, to guys here, and they've spoken into my life, and it was just exactly what God want, I needed to hear. That couldn't have happened that day if I wouldn't have come to church. So, and you know, look, I'm not trying to fill seats. You know what, all I'm trying to say is that, um, you know, it's part of, um, God speaking to us, communicating to us, and it's one of the vehicles that he uses. So let me state the obvious. If you're looking for the will of God, you'll find it in the word of God. 
If you want to know what God's will is for your life, if you want to know what God's will is, then you know what? you got to be in the Word. Because the Word of God is the will of God. And, you know, he doesn't cloak it. He doesn't hide it. He's pretty straightforward. Do this. Don't do that. Follow me. Don't follow this guy. Do that. I mean, it's not complicated, right? It's pretty straightforward. So, um, if you want an intimate relationship with the Lord, guess what? You got to pray. You got to pray. All right. You guys, aren't, you guys understand what I'm saying? You guys got that? Come on. I got to hear it. All right. Yes. All right. All right. Make this your prayer. God, we only want to hear your voice. We're hanging on every word that you say. Because when you speak, when you move, when you do what only you can do, this is the key, this is the key line. It changes us. It changes what we see and what we seek. We really need that. We need, you know, we, we have to have God change us in, in what we see, the things that we, you know, and it affects what we seek. If we're in the word and we're praying and we're, you know, hanging out as much as we can in our life with the Lord, involving him in our day, um, you know, we, we'll start to seek different things. We'll seek him more, right? We'll, we'll seek things that are good, Right? Philippians 4, right? See, you know, those things that are lovely and beautiful and honorable. And I'm butchering the verse, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Think on these things. So the last one is obedience. You know, what are you doing with it? <laughs> you know, what are you doing with it? You know, I had my hip replaced and they gave me some exercises and all of these things to do. But what if I didn't do any of it? Right? I'd be limping all over the place, right? I'd be complaining to, doc- to the doctor, you know, what did you must have made a mistake or something, right? No, but that, we do that with the Lord, right? Like, Lord, what's going on? You know, I mean, how could this be happening? And he's like, well, it would help if you did what I told you to do, right? That, are you doing these exercises? Are you in the word? Are you praying? Oh, well, well, what do you expect? But we would never think God would say that to us, right? Sometimes I wonder, you know, my dad, when I used to do something wrong, he would just go, you know, he'd give me the, okay. So, you know, sometimes I wonder if God looks at me sometimes and says, oh, Dave. You know, but I guess you had to be there when my dad would do it. If I made an error playing baseball, he'd be in the stands. It's all right. I grew from that. It really helped me. Are we doers of the word? All right. Um, James, I'll read them to you. You don't have to turn there. And these are verses that we all know. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. It says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Okay, and it, it you know, that really is a, it's a mathematical term um, referring to a miscalculation. So if we hear the word and we don't do it, it we're, we're getting it wrong. Right? We're making a mistake. Uh, it's a bad calculation, right? Um, so for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. And you know, how does that, sometimes that happens, right? You're in the Word, you know, you're having an awesome time in the morning, you close it up, you start going into your day, and you know, now all of a sudden you just forgot what you read. So there's no benefit to it because now you're just kind of caught up in the, you know, the routine of the day. 
So, you know, putting it, you know, being a doer, you know, I, I had some other notes that I added to this, and I, when I transferred it over, I didn't put them in here. But, you know, when I was thinking about a mirror, I think God must have thought how vain we are because we love to look at ourselves in the mirror. And when we leave the mirror, we don't forget that because we think we walk out thinking, wow, I look pretty good today. You know, but spiritually speaking, when we're looking into the mirror, that word of God, and God is showing us who we are in him, or maybe showing us a blemish that needs to be changed, right? He doesn't want us to forget that, right? So we need to keep that in mind as we go through the day. He says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, the consistency, and is not a forgetful hearer, but what? A doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. And don't get confused there, a doer of the work. Um, we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace, right? But God's called us under good works, and, you know, if, if there's some changes that need to happen in our personality, well, guess what? It's going to take a little bit of work. All right, this is good. i got just enough time. Okay, so what we were prior to salvation uh, can be relevant at times, right? Paul used this testimony Okay, so that worked, that worked well for him. But our main focus should be, um, like Paul's, what our life was like when we're saved. That should be the focus. Knowing Christ is the goal. So I want to read uh, some verses out of Philippians chapter 3, and then we'll close. But I just want to make another note about the time. Paul wrote Philippians 26 years after his conversion. 26 years after his conversion. So it kind of puts things in perspective. When you hear, um, you, you still, you, you hear what he's saying. All right, so I'm going to just read it and make a few comments, and then we'll pray. But, what I, you know, he's, he's going to be sharing some stuff that he's shared, you know, shared with them before. He's going to share some, a negative thought. He's going to talk a little bit about, a teeny bit about, um, you know, relate his testimony to it a little bit. But then he's going to focus in on, you know, really the, the meat and the heart of the matter. And really what Paul is saying is no matter what I was, all of that, whatever, what, anything I ever did, none of it makes any difference. What's important is knowing Christ. So, from the time God inserted himself into your life and you got saved and everything from then till now, the goal is still to know Christ and to know him more and more and more. That should be, you know, we get, um, you know, we get concerned about a lot of things going on in the world today. But I want to challenge you. Why don't you spend more time being concerned about your relationship with the Lord why don't you spend a little bit more time being concerned about, hey, what's happening at the church? You know, where can I plug myself in? You know, where, where can you get concerned about all of this stuff around us because we're so distracted? I say, take that energy and pour it into your relationship with the Lord. Why start spending that time to get to know him more because everything else around you is just going to kind of fade a little bit. You guys understand what I'm saying? All right, so let's, re let's read these verses and then we'll stop. Okay, verses uh, 1 through 14. So Paul says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. You know, and the, the issue is still the Judaizers trying to get them to convert back to Judaism 
to get saved. So he says, beware of the dogs, uh, beware of evil workers, uh, beware of the mutilation. And this is, um, you know, Paul is, it's a negative slant towards the Judaizers, um, you know, calling them dogs when they used to call the Gentiles dogs, um, calling them evil, evil workers, you know, they're prideful, uh, self-righteous, and, you know, beware of the mutilation, trying to, they're trying to pull you back and to get circumcised. You know, don't, don't let any of that stuff get to you. In verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. It's awesome. He says, Rejoice. Worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. Man, I have to think about that all the time. You know, it's, we can't, can't be overconfident thinking that we've, you know, that, that I'm saved by what I did. No, no way. So Paul says in verses, starts in verse 4, um, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, he's going to go to a little bit to his um, testimony. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, um, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And that word zeal um, to a Jew, that was the highest single virtue of their religion. You know, and it combines a love-hate um, that because Paul loved Judaism, he hated whatever might threaten it. So he's saying nobody had was that zealous except me. So then there's a transition, and it's really cool. But, but, he says, but what things were gained to me? And guys, this is hopefully where we're living. But what things were gained to me, these I count, counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, you know, garbage, dung. You know, they meant nothing to him. His past, all of his accomplishments meant nothing to him. And why did he count it rubbish? That I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which was or is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed in his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, think about, think about what he's saying. I mean, I hope that... I mean, you got to go home and read this over and over again. But look at listen, the power of a changed life. Look at the power of the Holy Spirit changed Paul's life to this point. But think of the influence that it had. Listen to what he's saying, and it it just is so um, healthy. You know, we read all kinds of stuff for our health, but man, this is this is good, healthy stuff for us to latch onto as believers. Verse 12, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfect. <laughs> you know, he, he's okay with that because he says, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. 
Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. And guys, this is one thing you need to do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. What does God have? What does God have in store for you? Forget about what was behind you. Just keep going forward. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let as many as are mature have this mind. Okay, what he's saying about what we just read. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us be of the same mind. In other words, what he's saying is that, hey, live up, you know, what you know already, put that into practice, right? Remember we read in James, being a doer of the word? You know, it's, it's more beneficial for us to, 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 to walk in the light that God's already given us, the things that we understand. The things that we don't understand, God is going to reveal that stuff to us over time. But, you know, I really like that. I like the idea of focusing, um, you know, focusing on living out what we know. Living out that truth that we know. And, you know, as we grow in the Lord, um, you know, that, that'll all change because our relationship with him will change. So God inserts himself into our lives. Our response, humility, you know, Lord, what do you want us to do? God will give you a clear answer. God will. God will. And then what we do with that, you know, the obedience, do we walk in that, that obedient response? Of course we do. Of course we do. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for this morning and for your word. And Lord, um, I pray that we would, um, we would spend as much time being consumed with you as we do with uh, a lot of other things that um, happen to take uh, preference over uh, our time with you. I pray, God, that we would um, evaluate um, our schedules, our lives, the things that, um, you know, maybe need to take um, a back seat to our relationship with you, which obviously would be everything, Lord. But, you know, um, we're creatures of habit. We do things... Uh, a certain way all the time. And I pray, God, that you would insert yourself into our lives and show us um, where changes need to be made. And God, that um, you know, our response to that would be yes and amen, that we certainly um, want to follow um, the direction that you give us. We want to be sensitive to your leading and guidance, Lord. We, we want to cooperate with those things that you're speaking into our lives. Uh, so we thank you for that. And God, I pray that you would um, just let these things kind of resonate um, in our heads and in our hearts. And Lord, that um, knowing you would be the, the most primary important thing that we would um, consider uh, in our lives, God, to know you more, to know you more. And so we pray that you would um, challenge us in that, Lord as we uh, go through the rest of our day. And uh, Lord, we're just so thankful for your love and your grace. Thank you, Lord, that even uh, when you point out some deficiencies that uh, you're right there to, to help us through that and to encourage us and to support us. So we praise you and thank you for who you are. And God, I pray that we would yield uh, to you to become who you want us to be. So we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. God bless you guys.